Good morning, saints. And happy Thanksgiving weekend. This Sunday always feels a little unusual to me because technically, for those who follow the calendar, it is the first Sunday of Advent. But for us in the States, it is the beginning or it is the time we set aside each year specifically to give thanks for the many blessings that we enjoy. It is good to have a time set aside specifically to give thanks to the Almighty. Many other countries and cultures have designated such a time, usually in the fall. I always enjoy seeing special worship services in Kazakhstan and other places around the world as we collectively give thanks for all of our blessings. It's also good, as Kimberly was praying, to set aside time to remember and reflect upon the most stupendous, wondrous event, the Incarnation. When God himself entered time and space, when God took up a body, when God tabernacled with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Let us always remember that we are called to be a people of thanksgiving. Always giving thanks to God for his unspeakable love shed abroad in our hearts. Yes, we are thankful for the temporal blessings of living in these United States, for the relative prosperity that we enjoy, and of course, for the freedoms that we cherish. We never take those for granted. Our first identity, however, is that noble name, Christian. We are Christ followers. God is building a special people, the church, that is formed from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Our highest praise and loftiest thanks flow from his indescribable gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning we bridge the gap, if you would, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Exhorting one another to give thanks in all circumstances. Because we are blood-bought sons and daughters of the Most High. Destined for heaven and irrevocably called to become ultimately conformed fully and finally and forever to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Our text this morning is one that we've recently transversed in our, Sunday, our Tuesday morning men's Bible study. The general background is that the apostle, Paul, is pointing us to what I call the eternal perspective. He was suffering great trials and tribulation and persecution. He lost his reputation. He lost his comfortable life. He lost the honor of the people. But he considered everything he had before Christ, and we'll be honest here, to be a big pile of poop. To say it plainly, all the religious accolades now meant nothing to him as he suffered for the sake of the gospel. Speaking of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, specifically as it pertains to believers, Paul said this, In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, 
Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It's that phrase, constrained by the love of Christ, that caught my attention. What a lofty thought. The love of Christ controls me. And then the conclusion. That we should no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us and is now risen again. Brothers and sisters, we are meant to be different. Not because we're better than others, but because we have been gifted the most stupendous gift, eternal life. And it is to that very end that we speak this morning. Our gratitude should excel beyond all of our contemporaries and friends. We should be known as people who are thankful not as people who are ungrateful or complainers. So why is this the case? We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Let us therefore encourage one another to be grateful people. Who can forget our brother Collins Clark? His birthday was just a few days ago. He would sign his emails and most of his texts with a very familiar heart emoji, grateful heart. In his very last moments of consciousness in my presence, he couldn't muster the words, but he looked up and he motioned. He lifted his hands to his chest. And flashed a smile. And that was it. God ushered him. Soon thereafter. Into glory. It gave me so much peace. In that moment. So we are different people. Our, our praises. Are the voices. Of the redeemed. God's love. Resides within our hearts. We are on a pilgrimage to our eternal inheritance. On the theme of giving God our highest praise and lifting up a heart of thankfulness. This morning I'd like to give us three very specific ways in which we indeed can lift up praises and demonstrate and express our gratitude. Please note that not one of these is dependent upon your current circumstances. That's the whole point. Whether you find your current circumstances pleasurable and enjoyable at the moment or not, each of these are for each and every one of us. So the first encouragement that I would like to give each of us this morning by way of being very practical is this. First, praise him and give thanks in the storm. 
praise him and give thanks even in the storm that you currently find yourself. Our strongest and best praise is in the storm. When all else gives way. And you come to the dumbfounding realization that he is indeed all that you have. You find your voice and you fix your mind on your true north. Let not your voice become weak in the storm. And let not your heart become embittered. In your storm. When all is not well. It is not the strength of your faith. Praise God. As many have noted. It is not the strength of your faith. Nor the depth of your resolve. That saved you or sustains you. Dear saint. It is the object of your faith. That is your reward. And who faithfully sustains you and will never let you go. Consider the well-known storm. The literal storm that Jonah, the prophet, found himself in. Unlike some of our storms, this storm for Jonah was entirely of his own making. We know those, don't we? We ride in some storms that are completely our own doing. We acknowledge, of course, that many are not. But in Jonah chapter 2, we find Jonah in the belly of the great fish and, understandably, in great distress. Jonah reasons, God did this to me. And to boot... God, he says, is far from me, or that's how he felt, and which is how we often feel in the storm. And which of us cannot identify with him in our own circumstances, feeling that God is far from us? Jonah was given an assignment that he did not want to a people that he did not like. And now his life seems to be at its very end. But after the understandable voice of agony, a different spirit pervades Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2. Let's listen as this prophet lifts his voice to God from the depths of the earth, as it were. We'll pick it up in verse... Seven. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope and steadfast love, their hope of steadfast love. Love. But I, contrast, so many of the Old Testament prayers of lament and anguish end in this way. But I, 
with the voice of thanksgiving will will sacrifice to you what i have vowed i will pray i will pay salvation belongs to the lord and the lord spoke to the fish and it vomited jonah upon the dry land oh look at that shift When my life was fainting away. That's where he's at. That's where he was. Can you relate? Can you relate to that? Of course we can. But what did he do in the storm? He remembered the Lord. He remembered who he belonged to and who watches over him. That's when his spirit shifted and he noted his prayer went up to him even in that terrible situation. He had the most profound epiphany even in that dark moment. And here's what it is. How does anyone face problems without the Lord? How many times I have heard you in deep waters simply say, I don't know how people walk this path without the Lord. He notes that when we give our lives to idols, they are not there in our time of need. As one has said, they do not love us back. They do not have our back, not one bit. And do not relegate that term idol to yesteryear, to physical idols that people bow down to. We have many, many idols in our own heart. This refers to anything or anyone that is an idol in your life that takes the right place of God in your life. God is our ever-present help in time of need. His, our, his prayer, Jonah's prayer, rises to him. God is love. And he showers us with his love. Please note that Jonah refers to his worship here. Even in that desperate situation, which was nasty... In full expectation of the Lord's deliverance, he raises up a voice of thanksgiving in the midst of the storm. We know the rest of the story. It ends well for Jonah, at least that part does. But saints, I implore you, give thanks, give praise to the Lord, even in the storm. A side note regarding Thanksgiving. You might be familiar with President Abraham Lincoln's proclamation given in 1863. What is striking about that proclamation is it was in the middle of the storm. It was in the middle, not after, in the middle of the Civil War. In part, it reads, 
I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged. And fervently implore the interposition of the almighty hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to full enjoyment of peace and harmony and tranquility and union. What was surely a precursor to our modern day Thanksgiving. That was given in the midst of the storm. Our next encouragement this morning is to give thanks and praise to the Lord for what he has done for his faithfulness. It's interesting in Hebrew thought, even in the Old Testament, if you've ever attended a graduation or commencement activities of some sort, they will often talk about facing your future. You know how it goes. As you face your future, the possibilities are limitless. You're all amazing. You're great. Life is going to be fantastic. But in Jewish thought, that's not how they do it. They literally face their future by looking at the past. Because how else do we face our future other than to recall and recollect God's faithfulness? The path ahead is found often by looking behind, reminding ourselves that God is faithful. He's done it before. He is good and we can trust him. This is where we look back. It's really what Jonah did in the belly of the fish. He remembered God. He remembered his covenant-keeping God. Giving thanks because of God's faithfulness is a strong, solid rock upon which to stand. We gain courage for our present day and our future by considering the Lord's track record, obviously, of being faithful to his promises and to us. Psalm 63, I invite you to turn there, is one of my favorites. David expresses his yearning for God and conviction that nothing will satisfy him like God can. And remember, he had it all. He considers seeing God's glory, how there's nothing better, and indeed, nothing even compares to God's steadfast love. It is better than life itself. It might help if I turn there myself so I can read it to you. We'll pick it up in verse 5. 
My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Do you catch that? His soul will be satisfied with the richest of food. And praise will come from my lips. When I do what? When does that happen? When does that take place? When I remember you. When I stop, when I slow down my anxious thoughts, and I ponder the Lord. When my focus is on Him and not my circumstances per se. But what about the Lord does He focus on? When he thinks about the Lord, he meditates upon him. When he reflects on the goodness of God, listen, he says, You have been my help. Is that not our testimony? The older we get, we look behind us and we see, The Lord has helped me. That's it. Which of us today cannot testify to that, that God has helped us? When the finances were tight, the bills piled up, God's faithfulness was shown through the kindness of others. When you were waiting for the other shoe to fall because the first one has already fallen 18 times. But God. Whatever our circumstances, through our relationship with Him, we begin to see that He has never left us and He never will. In fact, He has helped us in our points of need. But there's a beautiful progression to see. When we remember the Lord, that He has helped us, it is then in the shadow of His wings... That we sing for joy. That is a beautiful image of God's care for us. His provision for us. In that place. We sing for joy. And that joy is a joy that no one and nothing can take away from us. As our praises rise. We confess our reliance upon him. He says my soul clings to him. As a result, and we see his hand of favor in our lives. Friends, give thanks to the Lord and raise your praise as you remember his faithful care for you and his faithfulness to his promises, not a one of which has fallen to the ground. And finally, saints, this morning, Give thanks and praise when you consider what is ahead. This truly is the best way to end this morning's message because it so perfectly captures our distinct Christian hope. 
We've spent time in the Old Testament this morning. But all those great men and women of God died without seeing the promises. But they welcomed them from afar. Our time on Tuesday mornings recently, in my opinion, have been very rich as we've considered this great passage that in which Paul speaks so compellingly to our heavenly hope. Second Corinthians chapter four and five. I invite you to turn there, by the way. Paul has been telling us in this passage of all the trials that he has faced. He's been telling us that people have betrayed him. That he bears the mark of Christ on his body. We all know his story. Left for dead in more cities than he can even recall. But as Paul has been telling the Corinthian church in this case. Of all the difficulties that he has faced. All the hurt in his life. Remember, he was a famous person. He lived a life life of ease and comfort and respect. He traded all of that in to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the midst of all of this, here is his perspective. It is indeed the eternal Perspective. Chapter 4, verse 16. Says this. So we do not lose heart. Is that your testimony? So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Saints, let me leave this with you today. Let your voice be lifted in praise. And may we all develop ever increasingly an attitude of gratitude For what is ahead. What lies ahead. What is before us. Is beyond our ability to even comprehend or adequately express. Imagine. The absence of temptation. And wrestling with the flesh. Every single moment of every single one of your days. No relationship drama. No disease. No sorrow. And of course, our inheritance. 
In the midst of all his woes and troubles, he resolves not to lose heart. He is giving you his testimony. That's the part I want you to hear. He had plenty of troubles. He bore on his own body the mark of Christ. Why did he not lose heart? Because he knew what lay ahead. It surely is a play on words. The Hebrew word for glory is actually weight. So when he says the weight of the weight. Oh, they knew what he was saying. He was magnifying it for them. The glory ahead far exceeds anything that we face here. It cannot be, it cannot even be compared. But notice how he describes afflictions. He says they are momentary. I want you to stop right there. How many of you, when you are in a painful trial of whatever sort, Think to yourself, naturally, well, this is flying by quickly. Indeed, it is true. Time flies when you're having fun. Said no one, ever. But what Paul does is this. He puts on a different lens, a different pair of glasses. And these glasses give the eternal perspective. Like if you were to put on a pair, I don't know, pink, green, whatever, shades, everything would be in that color. And that's what he's saying here. Put on that lens that helps you to put everything into perspective, that helps you to see eternity for what it actually is. And listen, what he's speaking to here in part is literally just common sense. Your life has an expiration date. We're not going to live forever. Even the atheist knows that. But for the believer in Christ, we know what is ahead. And he says, don't lose sight of that. In that context, in that context, we say, our afflictions are momentary. The view that eternity is literally never ending. The weight of glory is so immense, so overpowering, it fills our mind with wonder and our heart with gladness, even in the storm. It is why Paul says to give thanks in all circumstances. We may not like our circumstances, but they, my friend, they are not forever. Glory is forever. So in the storm... Give thanks. Be sure here that Paul is not sweeping anything under the rug. As I said before, he speaks at length about all his trials and how they felt like throwing in the towel. But what is ahead is so much bigger than what is now. For that reason, Paul speaks over and over and over again about developing a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of of praise. Saints, ponder deeply and often your spiritual inheritance. You will be loosed 
from the trappings of this life. And you will find your sorrows are ministered to ways in, in ways that you did not expect. You will find that God meets you in that dark and lowly place. Friends, as the scripture says, give thanks in all circumstances. That is your privilege and it is your calling. It is God's will. It is his will that you see his beauty and faithfulness and the glory to come. That you see the tremendous price that he paid to redeem you and to adopt you into his family. He wants your mind transformed so that you increasingly see him and not just what is right in front of you. Friends, as we enter the Advent season today, let us truly cultivate thanksgiving deep in our being. Let us be a people of thankfulness. Not just throwing a positive spin on what is a terrible situation. That's not helpful. But let us live our faith and comfort and encourage one another with God's faithfulness and his great love for us. In the month of December, we'll examine the prophetic voices that spoke so eloquently to the coming of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. Many of us know the key points of what this prophet spoke to, but we often overlook the finer details as they spoke to the beauty of the gospel and the kingdom. Would you bow and prepare your hearts for prayer? I'd like to give you just a moment of quiet reflection as you think about the goodness of God and the greatness of God. The holidays we know are a very busy time and indeed very painful on many levels. But what we focus on always is the simplicity and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. As you turn from and abandon all of your failed attempts to make God love you, to earn your keep, to earn his love for you, but you see the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is, and you put your faith and your confidence and your trust exclusively in what he has done on the cross. Dying for our sins and rising again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. My dear friends, take heart. Your difficulties, your trials are real. At no one point ever in scripture do you find anyone belittling your trial? Scripture simply presents us with a bigger picture. The overwhelming and beautiful love that God has for us. 
the redemption he has purchased for us in Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we give you thanks and praise. We thank you first and foremost for who you are. We recognize your beauty. We worship you in your holiness. And we revel in the love that you have for us. Help us day by day, moment by moment, as the scripture says, to rely on the love that you have for us. Even in the midst of all that we are facing today, may we remember you. Lift up our head and know that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. To boast, as Paul says, in that, in glory, in glory to come. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.